0: Welcome to episode 111 of The Real Photo Show, sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photography, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. So my guest today is Matthew Liefite, and this episode was recorded in early February. And fortunately, I have four more episodes already recorded, because I'm not sure when I will be able to get together with folks to record more, uh, and also... I'm not sure when my college or the School of Visual Arts will be opened for face-to-face business. I myself have been avoiding uh, everyone but family as much as possible because I felt a little under the weather last week and I went to get checked out at the doctors and of course I didn't check enough boxes uh, to get tested, assuming there's even a test available where I live. Um, and so I started by social distancing early. So I hope all of you are healthy and staying away from others as much as possible. And I hope you have access to supplies and food and things you need and people to help out if you need that as well. So let's just all make decisions that take others into account. People we may come in contact with or people who may need supplies before we buy up all the hand sanitizer that we see on a shelf. And let's hope that toilet paper makes a comeback. And just one last note, the JKC Gallery is closed for the foreseeable future. And the show that is up right now, we may be able to get an extension on. That's The Road, curated by Float Photo Magazine. Uh, So if we can get an extension from all the artists uh, and then leave the show up maybe into the summer, uh, there'll still be an opportunity to see the show. All right, my guest today is Matthew Lifite, and we had co-host Rachel Stern joining us, which was a lot of fun and we do have a really um, fantastic conversation that covers a a lot of topics uh, from Matt's work to a kind of philosophy about how to work and how to succeed as an artist. So Matthew Lifite is a photographer, magazine editor, book editor, and publisher. He is the founder of Matt Editions, which produces Matt magazines and a growing number of books, including Slow Morpheus by the aforementioned co-host Rachel Stern. Matt, Rachel, and I talk about Matt's latest work and future book about Fire Island, which is deeply connected to gay history and culture in the United States. Matt describes this place as one in transition both physically due to title changes and culturally because a geographically dedicated location for sexual expression is not as needed as it once was. We also talk about Matt's ideas about commitment to work and what it takes to be an artist, and Rachel and Matt talk about creating their new artist manifesto, which is a set of rules about being an artist that Rachel and Matt have written together over the years. Uh, So just a little bit more from Matt's bio. Matt is also a professor who currently teaches at Pratt Institute and Parsons School of Design. He was formerly the photo editor of Vice Magazine, has written criticism and interviews on art and photography for Aperture, Foam, Art F City, and Time Lightbox. Matt holds a BFA from Rhode Island School of Design and an MFA from Yale School of Art, where he was awarded the Richard Benson Prize in 2017. And his work has been exhibited internationally as held in public collections, including the International Center of Photography, the Museum of Modern Art Library, and Yale's Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library. And I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. His photographs have appeared in the New York Times, the New Yorker, Time Magazine, Them, Gay Letter, Out, Vice, and the Yale Daily News. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. And if you're out covering the pandemic, set your lens to six feet and let's all flatten the curve.
1: Uh, my name is Matthew Lifheit. I am a photographer first and I'm also a publisher of a magazine and uh, called Matt and I publish books under the imprint Matt Editions. I've also curated some shows and I've just been thinking this morning that this is an interesting time to do an interview on a podcast because this is a time in my life when I feel fairly recently that I've gone from trying to exaggerate all of the things that I do and make them seem better than they are to kind of trying to present things in a very more even way. Lately, I find myself downplaying things. I read the Peter Sheldahl's piece about having uh, cancer and dying in The New Yorker, and one thing that stuck out to me was he said when he was young, he had arrogance, and it allowed him to write, and I feel like that was relatable to me. Yeah. That I, and I feel like maybe you're catching me at a time when I'm not feeling as arrogant as I would like to, or once was.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, well, welcome. <laughs> and uh, guest co-host today, Rachel Stern, back. Hello.
2: Hi. <laughs> Glad to be back. Yes.
1: And Rachel Stern is uh, a photographer, living, and curator. Who Your show, Love 2020, is up at Columbia University's Leroy Neiman Gallery until next week. And also my oldest friend in photography. We went to the Rhode Island School of Design together and have collaborated on a number of manifestos and artworks. And so I'm really happy to have Rachel in the conversation as well.
2: Cool. I'm happy to be here. Yeah.
0: Why don't we just start right there? How did you uh, meet? How did the both of you meet?
2: So Matt and I both rolled into RISD Photo, unwilling to take photo one, and found each other in photography two, where we didn't Exactly. No, we belonged in photo 2. But it was like it was like sort of like a thing to be there. And I think there's sort of like two parts of the Matt and Rachel story. I wonder if you'll think of it the same way. But one was that our professor Henry Hornstein asked us to each create a presentation about like who we were, just like a getting to know you. And Matt and I both, Matt's was a video and mine was an in-person presentation. But we both sort of held up all of the plastic crap that we had collected and presented it to the same song, which was Hey Ma by Cam Ron, which is still a great song. That's pretty wild. So that was like moment one. 2008 or something. Yes, this was 2008. That's right. And then I think moment two was that we all felt like, okay, we made it into photo two and that was like cool, but lots of sophomores were in photo two. You
0: had to kind of... Audition for photo two because you wanted to skip photo one. You yeah, prove we proved that we like, didn't.
1: We were too good for this amateur shit. <laughs> and yeah, we like, know
2: how to process film and use our cameras. <laughs> like we want to do the next. step We had step. both
1: come to art school with the idea that we would pursue photography, but we had been made to take this uh, foundation year where you had to roll around in charcoal and draw nudes, and and you're um,
2: not allowed anywhere near a dark room. And it was like this torturous year away from the dark room. And I would see Matt around with his Rolie. And I was like, you know.
0: Yeah, I don't. I never got that. The you can't take the classes you really want to take until you jump through all these other hurdles.
2: I sort of love it. It's part of why I went to RISD. (laughs) Actually, is I felt like I wanted to go through the ringer because (laughs) I had always known it was photography, and I wanted to be like put through some gauntlet or something. But, but, okay, so, but sophomores are allowed in photo too of like a certain ilk. But I think the real moment was when we both like forced our way into large format photography our first semester. And that was like way out of range. And I feel like I walked in like, I'm the sophomore in large format photography. And then Matt was there and it was a scandal. And then I think, <laughs> I think we bonded I mean, yeah. after that.
0: And we
1: just decided to be friends. Yeah, it started with, Hatred and jealousy, but it's been a long and beautiful friendship. And actually, yeah, and we published a book together of Rachel's work. Slow Morpheus? Last year, titled Slow Morpheus. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful publication. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. We've done a lot of things together. I really, I feel like something that I talk about with my students is like that it's really hard to maintain some kind of community after school and to continue making art when no one's like asking you to do it. And I think Rachel and I have had a relationship that is mutually generative and competitive in some ways that I I think has been good for me, certainly.
2: Totally. I think there's also an element of, like, bearing witness. That's something you and I have both talked about. But even with our sort of, like, romantic, doomy, gloomy selves, I know that you've really brought up a lot of ideas about, like, being the executors of each other's estates or like yeah. having somebody who's been there the whole time who knows how the work got built.
1: Yeah, my family has it in writing that if anything happens to me, my work will go to Rachel.
2: Wow. I'm not so... Far- <laughs> I don't have anything in writing, but uh, maybe I should. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. I just think about it. It's like... Podcast is not legally binding. <laughs> no, but it's like... But, some- I, but for the record,
2: Matt, <laughs> right. Matt can take control. I don't know. It's
1: just... I think you'd want someone who understood how to what you wanted done with your, you know, absolutely. As you know, we're 30 years. So, I'm 30, so 31. And so maybe it's early to think about it, but you never know.
2: And we're uh, just like that. It's a, also like a living project.
1: It's fun to think about actually. <laughs>
2: I make sure yeah. I have like every, all like as many Matt issues as come out, I try and have, and I actually right. have all of your issues of vice that you were photo editor for. Aww. Cause I subscribed during that period. <laughs> 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 so I have like, you know, my own archives.
0: Yeah. Uh, you were the, um, the, the photo editor for Vice magazine for a while. Um, and are you still teaching then at Pratt and Parsons?
1: Yes. Um, I quit my job at Vice to go to grad school because I felt that, you know, I got into this whole thing to make art. And I think that I really loved working with artists in the capacity of working at different magazines. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it was a great platform, one, what I liked about Vice is that I went out to kind of everyone and it wasn't just a photography audience, but it was a more general group of people. But yeah, so I, I, went, to, I went to grad school and now I'm teaching and making my own work. And it's you know, certainly less secure than having a salary and a more scary way to exist. But I'm glad that I have made the choices yes. I've made. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm teaching, right now I'm teaching professional practice, um, at both Pratt and Parsons and that has been super interesting because it's I'm not even sh- I don't know what that means anymore or what it's you know like
0: no I, I completely understand that because i when professional practice classes started there were institutions that you strived for and there aren't as many anymore there aren't these these clear job sort of paths there are these clear paths for artists and photographers to 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 follow it's Um, it's something I, I'm at a junior college, so I only see them up to their second year. Uh, So we don't have like a real professional practice class. We have a portfolio class and we, you know, we have capstone courses and it's very hard to give direction on what path students should take other than transferring to a four-year in my case. But, you know, it's, I think if I were starting out today, I I don't know what I would, what path I would choose.
1: (laughs) I think people are increasingly asked to choose many paths at once. So, my professional practice class has been retitled How to Become a Self Cleaning Oven, <laughs> which is um, about. <laughs> is it really called that? It's on the syllabus. Um, <laughs> and it's based on last semester at Parsons. This person, Sally Singer, who was like a creative director at Vogue, came and talked to students. And she was talking about it in the context of video production. And she was saying, or, you know, how hiring people to make social media videos for a publication like that. And she was saying, you're going to have to know how to shoot the video and the still photos and do the color grading and edit it. And was like, made a joke where she was like, you'll have to be a self-cleaning oven. But I think it also applies in other ways where people probably within their own art practices want to curate or write or do other things that are not so specific as just taking photographs.
0: The the other thing I like about that metaphor is it also means you can start over, like sort of wipe, wipe the slate clean and, and start yeah. again. I like that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Know. Yeah, I'm learning. Teaching that class has been. Uh, I think I'm actually kind of excited about teaching it, but it's like a, I, I do wonder what to tell people.
2: Do you feel like your students come in with goals or ideas of what they're going to get from having a degree in photography?
1: Yeah, so that's like the first, cl- the second class. They uh, give a presentation that involves. They're like five-year and ten-year goals, which are stressful to think about for me now and at that time, especially you know about to graduate from college. And yeah, I mean, so, some of the, ans- the answers range from like I would like to be, you know, still able to make my art and like working in my field in photography some in some way, to like I would like to have two studio assistants and a large studio and. Soho or you know like some I want to be a fashion editor some you know some people it's interesting because I feel like when at RISD I thought the assumption was we were they were assuming we were all going to be fine artists or like that we all wanted to be the voice of a generation and I feel like
2: yeah I think Henry was the only person who even ever mentioned that there was work beyond that within photography
1: when clearly some of our classmates you could see like oh you're going to be a creative director or something you don't really want to make art and that's fine you know so I think but yeah, I guess this is the one, this class is the one place where you can embrace that and be like, well, w- if you want to be a creative director, that's okay. You know, like you can... T-
0: <laughs> Those are uh, fourth year students, typically, that you have. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, it, it's changed quite a bit. Of course, uh, I'm the oldest person here. And when I went to here at SVA, we didn't talk about any of that. We didn't talk about what we were going to do except to keep making photographs. There was almost, I mean, that we had... Um, we had Sardi Klein, who uh, I think might still teach here, uh, who would teach you how to do weddings and and uh, uh. corporate um, brochures and things like that. But other than that, it, you know, there wasn't a huge gallery art world in New York, uh, nearly as big as it was, it was pretty uh, uh, subtle. It was still mostly in uh, Soho. And so there, there, there wasn't this idea that people coming out of school would start looking for Shows and galleries.
1: I've tried a lot of those different things that you mentioned. <laughs> so I, I guess that's what I can offer the students is like, I'm not like a... In fact, I pride myself on being a little bit unprofessional. I guess I can just offer all of the different things I've tried from being a photographer of weddings I've done. I did Patrick McMullen for a while. I did like fancy parties. Mm-hmm. I did, I don't know, a lot of different... And I worked as an editor in these different places. Right. And the end of the day, the things that mean the most to me are my own publications and my own work.
2: But I also think that you're somebody who's taken all of those different things. I don't think I've ever seen you like off duty as an artist. Mm. Like I'm thinking about, you know, when you're saying you did I forget what it's called, the studio portraits, Patrick McMullen. Oh I did
1: that was like page six
2: But didn't you do for a while, weren't you working in like, maybe I'm making this up. (laughs) I thought you worked in like a studio, like a studio portrait thing. And then I'm thinking about like when you made headshots of actors.
1: Oh yeah, I did. Well, I did. There was, I would do these freelance jobs where I would get hired to do, (laughs) this was like right out of college. And I think it was like someone, I have no idea how these people found me, but it was like, they would, it was a company that could be hired to style your LinkedIn profile. And so, and they would, they promoted me as like a, they're like, we have a fashion photographer who will take your headshots for your new LinkedIn. (laughs) And I would do these like conventions for like accountants or something in a Hilton in Midtown. And I would do like a headshot of all of them. And actually some of those were quite good. I have.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that you always approach even, I'm going to stick with that line that (laughs) I've ever seen you off duty. Like, I think you have taken these disparate things and you always are sort of like cooking on the back burner with them. No, I
1: like that. I like, I think Well, the work I made in grad school was basically, I was an assignment photographer for the Yale Daily News. And I was like, it was sort of an exercise in like, if I was completely subjective and maybe a little irresponsible as like a journalist, like what could I do?
0: What was the time between undergrad and grad school? You went to Yale for grad? Yeah, the photography MFA. Mm -hmm. Did you go straight from Rhode Island to Yale? No, I
1: spent six years in New York. I think that figure is right. We graduated
2: from RISD in uh, 2011, and you started at Yale in 2015. Okay. So that's oh, four years. Four years. Yeah. 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 Felt longer. There
1: was... Um, <laughs> you got a lot done. I got a, <laughs> yeah. I, like, worked at different publications. I had interned at The New Yorker, and then I worked as an intern at Time Magazine also, and I worked for a collector for a while. I don't know. I worked retail. I did all of these freelance... You worked at of, my favorite store. I worked at Merimekko for a while. Which was like I
2: still think that's a cool part of your biography. Yeah, working at Mary Mecca is cool.
1: Of course, I know I love I love stripes, but the well, no, that was like yeah, I had the job at time didn't work out, and I felt like I had majorly failed, and I left town for a moment and worked on a farm in California for a season, and then I came back to New York, and I was like. I'm going to focus on the things that are important to me, which is my magazine and my artwork. And I'm going to work retail in order to get paid to daydream about this while I fold striped shirts in the back of the (laughs) store. You know, like it was a reassessment of priorities, I think. That was actually a very productive time.
0: When did you start Matt Magazine? In
1: 2010, when we were seniors at RISD. I had worked in a commercial photography agency for the summer, and it was this horrifying experience. And I really think that that, along with the feeling that many of my friends, like Rachel, were making better work than the things I saw being promoted by a previous generation of editors and curators,
0: led to starting a publication you've You've said this on social media and other things that and 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 conversations that you are interested in seeing newer work. you're interested in seeing what's being made now. And less interested in all the revisiting of work right. that's going on right now as well. Was Matt Magazine part of that then? That It started back then? That, I, that notion that you yeah. want to promote, there's better work being made right now?
1: Yeah. I always felt that there was... At first it was... Well, I've really been thinking about how the magazine has changed actually a lot recently. Because uh, when I started it, it was I wanted to show the work that was being made by my friend's at RISD, like in art school, because I thought I could work with these people. We can, you know, and I thought I could bring something as an editor to their work and make it, to form it in a certain way. Rachel was one of the first 10 issues, I forget remember number.
2: Well, because we, we did our thesis show together. Yeah. And you produced an issue of my thesis work. Yeah. So it was like right when we graduated. It was like
1: issue number eight or something.
2: But the very first one I also think is interesting. Wasn't the very first one Joe Freeman? Joe Freeman. And he's a photographer who was... A year ahead of us, and he's still making photography. He's very serious about it, and lives in Oregon. He's or something. a great photographer, and he's a great photographer. But he's definitely not the person who was like going to be perfectly in sync with like the most obvious conversations that were happening around contemporary photography or canonized photography. And you were like, "This is the guy. He needs to have this work featured." Yeah. Well, that was a actually a
1: learning curve in magazines too, is to think about what. So much of Joe's work was like whatever, you know, toner he was mixing out of powders in the dark room and the the luster of the silver prints or whatever, you know, the printing out paper, whatever it was he was doing. And like and I was it was right when. On demand, like indigo printing became good enough to publish photographs. I thought it, it was exact. Two thousand ten was like the first time you could really print a magazine on demand and have the photos reproduce okay. And it's gotten a lot better since then. But like, th- actually, that first issue is like very a lot of the detail of the shadow. It was so much about the shadow detail of those silver prints, and it was lost in the printing process. And I still I think it's a great issue, but you know what I mean. Like there's yeah. I I no longer. I now think more about like how will the magazine serve this. But yeah, when I started it, it was basically for people I knew at RISD. And then in the years in between undergrad and grad school, it was really how I made community. It was like people who I saw as my peers who I didn't know, but wanted a reason to work on something together for the most part. And then now I feel like you know increasingly i feel like the the role the magazine should serve is to be the first publication of an artist or like the i you know like my the way that i can be useful is to publish work of like recent undergraduates or people who are still in school cuz there's not another place where you would find like 60 pages of an undergraduate student's work although sometimes that work is the most exciting and I've always believed there should be a home for it. So yeah, I feel like I've been kind of redefining what the magazine is.
0: Yeah, it was, and it was always a print edition magazine. Yeah. right. It was never meant to just be an online only. Mm. That must have taken some figuring out <laughs> that first issue, right? The the whole process, the industry, the money, everything, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I did a
1: Kickstarter for the first issue, I forget. I'm not, and I pub- I printed like 50 copies, but I've always been adamant that I wasn't going to be stapling or gluing it together and it wasn't going to be me printing things out because it just seemed like that was too limited of a model and I I don't I never wanted it to be a mainstream magazine I always thought it was something that was pretending to be a real magazine and in order to say like you need to look at this but I always felt that it was I wanted to see it on a larger scale than what I could make with my hands and I'm also not a very like good craftsperson. <laughs> so
0: yeah so the magazine then was part of your portfolio when you applied to Yale right I guess it was. Did you present it as part of who you were and what you did?
1: I should, I don't know. It's like, I think it's a, the magazine is like an artwork, a long-term artwork that I've been doing and I don't, and I should present it that way, but it's hard to, like, how would you put that into a slide of, you know, portfolio? So I think I brought copies to the interview, but I didn't, I don't think I had it in my application, Mm. but yeah, it's a.
2: What was the work that you were, that was like Key West or is that after grad school? I can't that remember even, what you were making back then.
1: It, you know, it was like whatever I could fit in on around the sides of my full-time job. And so some of it was like commissioned work. Like there were a couple of portraits of like musicians in it. Very weird. Like I was making these pieces where it was full contact sheets, which you put one of them in a show. But looking back, you know, it was my it's also most... an
2: assignment for my photo two class. Their oh, first really? assignment. We look at your contact sheets. Huh?
1: Oh, how do you find... You know, I I thought I had expunged them from the... I have a folder. Internet. (laughs) But, yeah, I think of that as sort of... Well, it was... I think it was a situation where maybe people could see that if I had time to devote myself completely to making work, that it would pay off, I guess. I don't know. It was like... Because that... uh, Yeah, the work that I was making in that time is not work that I... I did one good thing during that period, which was that I did... This, these pictures of people looking at the World Trade Center. The Freedom before. Tower. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I would go on my lunch break from Vice and I would take photos of people looking at the tower. It was before it was occupied when they had sort of just finished building it. But it was just because I had noticed this light condition where it became a huge mirror and people would look up and there was this like illumination.
0: I don't know if you are if, if you know this, but that work closes a circle because there were there were photos of people looking up at the towers being hit and coming down yeah and and there's a, a different but similar emotional look on their faces like the look at the tower people were there were some truly horrified expressions and lots of crying and everything but there's some the pictures you made of the freedom tower have a similar almost sadness to them or all in an awe and sadness to them i think
1: well, well thank you for noticing that i actually i had my parents were visiting town and they had like, I don't know why, but they wanted to go to the nine eleven Memorial Museum. And so we went to the museum. And the, actually, when you walk in, there's all of those photos of people looking up at the tower. And then I just remember coming out of the museum and seeing the same thing outside. So those were definitely fresh in my mind. But it's still a way that I were At least it was established, like, the pictures that I made in Key West after that, or in a lot of situations, are sort of the same approach of trying to isolate portraits out of public space.
2: Well, and the Key West pictures, too, also have this connection of someone looking into a blinding light, which is an appropriate image for a photographer and is, I think, an interesting theme in your work, especially now as you're like pointing spotlights at people in the dark. And, you know, I think you've been interested in this blinding light. Illuminations.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I don't yeah, I yeah. So, well
2: oh, oh. so
0: Rachel, you just alluded to the Fire Island work, yeah, right, yeah, 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 and that is a book you are currently working on, Fire Island Night, yes, I don't know, I'm not
1: married to that title, oh okay, <laughs> other one's on my phone, that's what I've been calling the project so god let's let's hear some <laughs> of these oh titles yeah. no, it's I can't even they're so bad, probably, <laughs> um. There's no, I mean, you just you just have to start. I'm a bad titler of things and I tend to go for the most standard, like the work Specific. I made at RISD. I called Providence. <laughs> right. But don't you think that's
2: one? I, I always say I think that's one of the fun things about photography is that you get to title the photograph like Natasha at the Super I, Motel 6. Richard I tell my Virginia. students to do
0: that all the time. Like, don't try to infuse some explanation of the work in the title.
2: Like if you've got a cool, wacky title, go for it. Yeah. But if not, call it Providence. Providence is such a romantic word know, that we should like, be so lucky oh, to call something Providence. Place. And Same. Fire
0: Island is, is also such a yeah. great name for a place. It yes. is. It's wonderful. A
2: knight who doesn't love the night? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm trying I to... actually think oh, wait, the
0: specificity here's... of that is interesting. But yeah, let's hear the titles.
1: Yeah. I'm only, I'll give you one. Okay, wait. To Die Alive.
0: Good, solid. That's better than was that the Ariana Grande. Yes, so it's from the Ariana Grande
1: song, which I'm currently using. This quote, "I only want to die alive," It's like the epigraph of the book, but maybe it's a title. Um, Anyway, there's a small list of titles, but I'm I agonize over it because I do think it should be, you know, perfect and amazing.
0: Well, I I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I love the chapter three when when the ocean meets the bay. I called it chapter. I don't know if you call it chapters. Oh
1: yeah. so I sent you the PDF yes. of my working book dummy. So when right. I'm working on a series of photographs, I usually have some kind of like a book, like a PDF that's open on my computer is my process. And I'm, I'm thinking about what do I have? I think about it structurally, like what do I have and what do I need to connect these parts or like to create the kind of arc that I want. And
0: Well, three could also be acts. like it, Yes, it, yeah. I
1: think of them, well, or like almost like an album. Like I think of my work and like there's a large series and then within that there are kind of chapters often and then so for the fire island book there's yeah there's the first chapter takes place in the built environment on fire island mostly in in the belvedere which is like a 1957 kind of campy elaborate beautiful gay sex hotel that is men only it's really something built by a previous generation that is still there and then
0: could i ask then there's Uh, one of the early panoramic photos, a group of men on top of, is it the Ice Palace part or the the roof of the building, right? The yes. top of the building. Mm-hmm. Is that an old photograph or is that your photograph? So they're all my Okay, that first photograph, it just has this look of old color and old film.
1: Oh, well, it could be, you know, I use the Kodak gold and the, and,
0: oh, I, and my, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But also I mean, the
0: scene, the, that's, that scene looks out of time and like it looks like you've described this place as from a previous generation and that's what it looked like
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of the time i'm not i include very specific markers of time in the work because i want there to be i mean on okay so like on one i really love when people look at the work and say like oh i thought this world disappeared during the aids crisis or when people say this look you know like this could be 1970s or something and i like i think like And then I, I, but I do put in very specific kind of like, you know, clothing that people might wear to a rave or some, or, you know, particularly gay kind of under, you know, to exist underwear in a certain, you know, color that like, I think anchors it in, or like chunky tennis shoes for like in, but I think, yeah, since a lot of the pictures are nude, there is this thing where it goes kind of back and forth in time, which I think that place is also has that quality.
0: Yeah, well. Ice Palace and Sunken Forest, chapter two, those are real plate locations in Fire Island. But When the Ocean Meets the Bay, is that a play on the documentary When the Ocean Meets the Sky? Oh no, what's that? Oh I don't okay. know what that is. So when uh, I I looked it up, when the ocean meets the sky was a two thousand and three documentary detailing the fifty-year history of Fire Island Pines community. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I thought you were playing on that. Oh
1: <laughs> no! I well, the pro, maybe it's a play on the same thing. I heard a bartender told me that the kind of local language for like when the island will become submerged is when the ocean meets the bay, oh. which is because it, it's a small strip of land that. Um, separates the Atlantic Ocean from the Great South Bay of Long Island, and so there was one time the ocean met the bay before in the 1930s during a hurricane. Oh wow! But the sort of structure of the book is a flight out of this hotel, which is a it's like a something of a period, and then it's uh, like a flight through this cruising historic cruising ground and into the ocean. Oh, is sort of how I structure. I'm thinking of structuring.
2: Yeah, the book. yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, in that documentary, they talk about the Pines as being the first. Oh, did you watch the, it? No, I was I'm, reading about <laughs> it. I will if I can find it. Yeah. But it was it was um, the the idea that this area was the first recognized gay and lesbian town from the yes. 20s and 30s. It and is. I feel like what you're doing in in this book is is reasserting it, like that it's still alive, it's still vibrant. Like mm-hmm. like you said before, I the people may have thought this community died with with AIDS. Yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: alluring and also complicated and. Um, you know, for a lot, you know, exclusive and a lot of things. But yeah, I think any kind of only, like, I've heard it called an only space, but, like, any kind of space where you're saying, like, this is, you know, only for us is, like, complicated. But I think... Um, yeah, it's like, I, I think a lot about these gay vacation destinations like Key West or Provincetown, which used to be the only refuge for a community and were absolutely necessary to be kind of, you know, like a a place where people could go to express themselves freely. But now like I, in my life living in New New York and the places that I go, I don't really have trouble expressing myself. So I think the usefulness of the place is different and- Mm. Yeah, I think it's a changing place, and the island is also changing shape with the tides. The beach right
0: changes shape a little. <laughs> the uh, the essay by Jack Parlett uh, talks about the connection of and and I noticed this as I was looking at it, and then coming to the essay, I was I was glad to read this. He connects it to uh, Velasquez's paintings, but they, the photographs read to me as these kind, almost like these history painting, right? Mm. These these large motifs um, and. You said in a in an interview with Vice that you thought of painting as st- as the highest art form. That was originally what you thought you might do when you started. Oh, history art. painting? No, just painting. As painting. Being a oh. painter was something you thought of. Yeah, sort of Well, a, it's the most glamorous, the most prestigious, and gla- right, right, and glamorous. Isn't it? I think it's.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm smiling because I know this story from your deep past, where ah. you've had a museum or like a local retrospective. <laughs> when Matt was in high school, he had a retrospective of all of his artworks up until that point, yeah. which <laughs> I think was, in no small share, painting and drawing. Right. Yes.
0: Ah.
1: It's a lot of blind contour drawings. Yeah. Like I was very drippy. I was a very drippy
0: painter.
2: You've you've got a blind contour <laughs> lobster of your own yeah. design on your shoulder. Right. I a tattoo
0: for him, but yeah. Well, they're beautifully made, and you're working in this the dimmest of light, and there's just this sort of lushness to the the way you handle color in that light. Thank you. I feel like on a technical
1: level. I spent, like, a year trying to figure out how to make those the color look that way. I feel like I the first year I was out of grad school, I basically just photographed, like, sunsets and kind of horizon, like, water and the sky, and I think it was, like, a therapeutic exercise, and they were kind of just, they weren't very good photos because it was mostly just kind of, like, ombre gradients of color. And then I started being really excited by the ones that were, like, the, after the sun had gone down and it was just the last little bits of light and you would only get a little bit of information on the negative. And so then it, I think that's how it's like 35 millimeter. That's like exposed in a way where you it's like fragmentary and there's only like, you know, the information that you can see on the negative is usually limited. And so I think they don't look like other people's photos. That was my, (laughs) like, I feel like they don't, the color, you know, their long exposures using a continuous output. Mixed lighting sources at night. I don't know. I feel like...
2: Well, and we're talking about it as a book, but the prints are also these... You know, you're talking about the color, Michael, and the print is just, like, this incredibly luscious, like, deep, dark, Mm. portally kind of a object. They're super glossy, and they're very...
1: Yeah, I really... That's... I guess, yeah, I love... I think about the objects... Because it's actually really wonderful to see photos on your phone or on screens and it can be very beautiful, but to see them in person should be better. You know, like the actual experience of seeing the photograph.
0: And there was a show of the work. Where where was that?
1: It was at Delhi Gallery in Brooklyn in 2018. And at that point I was making very small, only really small prints, but I've started making larger prints now and would like to have another show when the work is done because I feel like I'm, I guess I'm, There'll be about two more years of work since that show that I'm kind of thinking about for the book.
0: Oh, okay. Um, So this is, it's still a a few years away.
1: It's an ongoing, I think I'm going to publish the book hopefully in spring of 2021. So next year.
0: Under your own imprint or?
1: I don't think, I would like to publish it with someone else, Mm -hmm. but working on it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like the. Well, I just always thought that the digital color was too like it, it looks very neutral when you use a digital camera. Like it all, the color always comes out looking pretty like it's pretty very close yeah. to the real world or something. Mm. I don't know. I do. I care about the object of the photographs very much and the surface of them and the.
2: I mean, in this work in particular, it also is framed very particularly. Like, can you talk? Can you tell us a little, Matt, about how you <laughs> are producing these photographs? Because well, it's not, you're, you're talking about shooting in a non-standard way, but I also think the final product is produced in an atypical manner. Or not atypical, but uncommon.
1: Yeah, there was like a, my friend Walker was telling me at one point that he was like, you should just, you need to expose them so all the information is on the negative and then you print them down. But I really love this kind of like thing that happens to the color when there's only a little bit of information on the negative. So they get drum scanned at super high resolution and then they get printed on two. Sheets of aluminum, so that's super glossy. They're like dye sublimation Mm. prints, and so
2: and then they're set into these frames very deeply, so they also kind of have this like. I really think they look like window box. Yeah, and they they look like pools or Mm. or something. They look deep.
1: Yeah, I feel like when you can't see the edge of these kind of prints because they're so glossy, it has a dimensionality that is like attractive to me, where it looks like it moves a little bit in the frame. So then, so yeah, I really I do I care a lot about the way the objects look and I feel like it has it'll be interesting I mean the book I'll, I'll figure out a way to do it in a book as well but it's
0: yeah that'll that'll be an interesting process to replicate that what you're talking about yeah I don't <laughs> know
2: but, but maybe like you're saying about the first issue of Matt magazine Joe's work that the book gets to be something different yeah
1: yeah it's its own thing I don't know one thing that I got out of going to of going back to school was that I was talking about this with a friend I don't know like like, Justine Carland was someone who, like, came and, like... She wasn't even, a, like, teaching there at that point, although she does teach at Yale. But she was... She would come and do... She did, like, a guest... Maybe a couple of guest lectures or something. And I just, like, had not been exposed, maybe, to people who... I had not registered, like, what it would take... The amount of... The level of commitment it would take to make something that is, like, a masterpiece. You know, like, I think I needed to... She... I don't even know Justine very well, but it's like I have so much respect for her because I feel like she's someone who will go where her work demands and like the effect that it has on her life is. I don't, I mean, like, you know, like she raised her kid in a van partially because the work demanded it, it seems. I mean, for lots of reasons, I'm sure. Anyway, I have a lot of admiration for these people who are singularly committed to their art practice. And this body of work on Fire Island feels like the first time for me I've really like committed to something for this long of amount of time. Because I really have been photographing there since 2014. The first time, I don't use any of the photos from the first time I went, but I went for a magazine assignment and photographed in color with a digital camera. And I remember thinking at that time, like there's so much more for me here. And then I encountered the pajama photographs in grad school. I was studying George Platt lines during like a summer fellowship in the library. And I saw all of these original tiny gelatin silver prints by pajama which if everyone should know pajama and it's Paul Cadmus Jared French and Margaret French and it's a collaborative um, queer threesome from the 1930s and 40s and, and wonderful work and they would make these snapshots on the beach um, Margaret French had a house I think it's Saltaire on Fire Island they also made photos in Provincetown and some in New York but looking at those photographs really made me think I needed to go back to Fire Island because there were these it was beautiful and they were all very highly staged kind of like classical sculpture or something and very surreal and dark.
0: Yeah well I mean you know in um, in Ice Palace there's lots of allusion to flames in the work and was that actually done or is that manipulated?
1: Oh yeah so I have um, at least the way that I'm Thinking about the sequence of images in the book now, it's like sort of ornate bathhouse burning down and people kind of fleeing from it. And so there's, I've been making models of the Belvedere Hotel and burning them down in studio (laughs) or outside of the studio. And so that part is constructed. I mean, there's every section of the book has like certain things that are kind of constructed. I mean, it's mostly there and on site, but none of it is like documentary or very right. candid. There's a there's photographs of the underwear party that happens there that are candid and unstaged. But most of it, I'm asking people permission to do these photos because the, it's like a kind of safe environment or protected. I don't know. It's this hypersexualized space, and I'm often asking for nudity and you know, or to depict actual sex happening. And so everyone in the book has been asked permission, and I've sort of uh, arranged them in some way.
0: How much of it is you know some people there, and how much of it is you're just going out and asking for permission?
1: It's a mix of things. There's like, I find um, I do like casting on Grindr and Instagram and social media apps, but then also I have these posters that I put up on telephone poles around Cherry Grove and the Pines that they say nudes needed, or last summer they did, and it was an ad for figure models. And so I've gotten really interesting people actually through those because it's a more Another reach is wider, or something.
0: Mm. Um, you actually just answered a, a second question I had with um, sunken forest. That's not simulated sex in sunken forest. It gets that. Oh no, it's real sex. Oh, okay. I mean, it's yeah.
1: been it's sex that's happening for my photographs. But I see. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like there. You know, the things would happen. In, so the second the chapter you're talking about is the cruising ground right. pictures, and those are like you know. A lot of times I would take someone that had agreed to model into a specific location that I wanted to photograph there. or They would take me to a specific location. But then also there would be things where I would, you know, people would start having sex or people would come on, kind of enter the scene, like who were out there themselves. And so sometimes I would get these people who would end up in the pictures who were kind of coming out of the bushes or something. And then... To a certain point, people had asked me to stop photographing when things would get very, like, heated. Like, when people would actually start having sex, I would have to stop taking photos. But then, yeah, I ended up figuring out. I, like, went out with a friend who agreed, like, some one person who agreed, like, oh, you can, t- you know, we'll go out and find someone and you can do photos. It seemed really important to photograph people having, like, public sex in the meat rack because that's also a thing where it's, like, it's this historic cruising ground that's really interesting and beautiful it's this tiny forest and uh, made out of like holly twisted holly trees and Mm. so the landscape is just amazing but then also this history of during the AIDS crisis a lot of people's ashes were scattered there and there's these paths that are formed by just people walking through the sand following desire but and but also I think you know there's a lot less people out there doing stuff especially at night because of apps like Grindr and also because of Lyme's disease.
2: Lyme's disease is really serious. Yeah, Yeah,
1: so I think, so part of that is sort of to, there are still people who go out cruising in the meat Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, the part of the photos is sort of like uh, making this thing happen for the purpose of my project or the book. Right, right. And,
0: and it's not that they're explicitly graphic kind of photographs, but you do get the sense of the act.
1: Not that I'm not up for it. I'm, I'm open to those images.
0: Yeah, I mean, I
1: am starting a print pornography magazine, and I'm starting a new magazine. And I, so I don't think that it would be bad if it was pornographic necessarily.
2: Do you have a title? <laughs> yes,
1: it's, I think, I've told you this. It's um, Dead Fags Annual is the name of my new publication. And it's a, it's going to be a yearly hardcore print pornography magazine where each issue is dedicated to a different historical deceased gay person. And so the first issue is Bozy, Oscar Wilde's evil twink lover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so And that will be, it'll be a range of contributors. Anyway, you can see a lot of my interest in publishing and my interest in my own work are, Often really interconnected.
0: Yeah. So, but I brought that up only because I was wondering what, where you decided to sort of draw the line and what you wanted to show for this book. Yeah,
1: I haven't drawn any lines. I mean, I wanted to photograph. There are certain images, in fact, of of the more like graphic sexual images in the book. That there's one that I really love. That one of the subject's faces looks very monstrous, and he although he did sign a release he doesn't want me to use that image which i don't also i also don't want to put an image out into the world if someone hates it that much you know like it, cuz i have to sleep at night and everything but i'm going to keep asking to use it like when i asked during the show and i'm going to ask when i do the book and like i think people feel differently about images of themselves over time but yeah it was yeah. one it was one where i really th- thought you could see the darkness of sex in the, in his face but
0: i think he could see it too so maybe in uh if he could see it in the context of a of the book, the book, yeah, yeah. There are times where people think they've said something horrible on the show, and when I present it to them in the context of the you know the two minutes of space or whatever, it, usually they realize it's not as it's not what they thought it was. Yeah, I'm trying not to say anything horrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've um, already marked five things. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Stopped it>.
2: burn! <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: I was like, on the way here, I was thinking, I was like, we have to say interesting things, but not so interesting that I get in trouble. Uh,
2: (laughs) Right.
0: I do want to make a note. This episode won't be out in time for the love show closing. I didn't realize it closed so soon. It
2: closes so soon. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. It closes in a week, on Friday.
0: We haven't, um, we actually haven't gone uh, too far backwards uh, in your life. (laughs) When, when did you become interested in art and photography? Oh, always. I was mm-hmm. always. I have
1: snapshots of me at a as doing like party photography as a eight year old or something. Yeah. And yeah, I had a Polaroid camera. Somewhere, I don't know where, is like this lost trove of what in my mind were probably kind of homoerotic photos of my Boy Scout troop, which like there is a book someday when I'm old and people want my early work rejects. <laughs> this this like like weird scout troop portfolio maybe in polaroid i don't know yeah i just remember (laughs) that i had used even the polaroid that had the sort of borders on it where it would be like
0: confetti or something yeah it's probably good so very early on uh did you have influence from your parents in terms of art my mom
1: was a kind of hobbyist photographer and still is and is uh she took a picture of tulips when She was traveling in the Netherlands that I remember very vividly from my childhood. And I remember her telling me actually that some people think photographs are not art, but they are. Hmm. What about your father? He's a physician. It's, they were both very encouraging. He really wanted me to become a musician. He kept buying me musical instruments. (laughs) And like, I think he really would have liked it if I did anything
0: take. Oh God, no. I feel (laughs) like,
1: well, I did do, did some child operas as a boy soprano but then puberty did not um (laughs) it's not kind to my angelic (laughs) voice but that's probably something I got I used later in life is the you know like someone pushing you out on stage and being like you have to
2: sing now yeah I think I definitely channel my sorted past as a theater kid Mm. and I feel grateful to have escaped but I also yeah it's its own Rachel also
0: had a punk band I did
2: (laughs) yeah two actually two different (laughs) punk bands
0: Did you sing? Did you play? What did you do? I
2: both sang and played the bass guitar, (laughs) and I wrote songs. Our first band was called The Uncertainty Principles, which my dad came up with that name just to give you a sense of how cool we were. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. But my second band, which was just my brother and I, was called Cash Star. And that band, I maintain to this day, was a good (laughs) punk band.
1: Their logo was a play on the Starbucks logo.
2: It was the Starbucks logo, but the mermaid's (laughs) face was a skull and it said cash star instead of Starbucks and then it said bitches instead of coffee. (laughs) It was very hardcore. That was some very early Photoshop. Any uh,
0: YouTube uh, on that?
2: No YouTube, but I think, oh well, does MySpace still exist for a long time? I think it does. I think our MySpace page might still be up, but Mm. we recorded prolifically. We had like four albums or something. (laughs) On my brother's four-track uh, recorder with cassette tapes. <laughs>
0: so there was never any uh, any worry uh, about you pursuing art and, and going to RISD? And...
1: Oh, I think that... Well, no. I, I mean, I mean, I think it's probably difficult for most parents. To, even... I mean, especially, actually, the people I know who are the children of artists, their parents usually said, do not go into this field. But I think you figure out a way to make it work. Because it's, it's like, it is an unstable, scary field to go into... You know, you figure out a way to make it work, and I feel very lucky to get to do what I want most of the time. Rachel, did you have any resistance from your did family about resistance? becoming an artist? No, the opposite. They were like, please, my parents we think would love it, you to my make My parents think ceramics. it's
2: the coolest thing. They're like, because they're also physicians or retired physicians, and they always say, like, um, our lives were so easy. We just had to work really hard, but there was a clear path and that you know not that it's easy there's whatever lots of things associated with that but they always feel very strongly like it's amazing that you just leap into this void with so much courage and whatever yeah. I mean they've always been very just like thrilled about me being an artist and like supportive to a point that's almost stupid it's crazy <laughs> my parents are super into it yeah
0: well they have farm day <laughs> farmer's day oh, yes farmer's, farmers day, farmers day. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, but Make also holidays. But also, you know, my
2: dad like my parents always made art. So as much as sort of like what you're saying about your mom, as much as they are scientists, they've also always been artists.
1: My dad is an artist too. Actually, he makes wonderful wood furniture. Oh yeah, he oh, made wow. you. Um, he made me this great table and the table. A lot of recently a cutting board, but yeah, I, my parents are wonderful and have been very encouraging. Also, and you and saw think,
2: art your whole life. Yeah, you know.
1: No, I was really. I was always. I got to go to art museums, and
0: I yeah. Did you grow up in New York? No, Wisconsin. Oh yes, you know how I knew you grew up in <clears throat> Wisconsin. Your cell phone is still yeah. from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, went to high school in this place called Marshfield, Wisconsin, which I always imagined I would go back and make work about someday because it was an au- it was a place that I hated. I mean, I think people, it's yeah, a lot of people feel this way about the place that they're from. That it was not ideal, and I f- and it was a very I mean, in a lot of ways, great, but also super conservative and not a great place to be.
2: You loved, like, a diner. I know there, that's, like, the one thing you loved about your hometown. I worked at a hometown. breakfast and lunch
1: restaurant, and I poured coffee, and I loved that. Yeah, it's true. And
2: I also remember a video, and I don't remember what it was, but it's some video of you from high school, and I think you're, like, running for class president or, like, homecoming king or something. Uh, Do you know what I'm talking about? I think it...
1: There was a bid for student government, but student it was successful Yeah, that's that's uh, like
2: my picture of your hometown because it's like you driving around, and then you like get to the school, and you like get out. I think, and
1: yeah, I feel like I had to email YouTube specifically to get that, rid of that because it was <laughs> it was coming up when people searched you. Yeah, <laughs> I brought it.
2: I brought it's, it back up I for know. you.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I always thought I would go back and make my like Peyton Place series about this town because it was. Yeah, in a lot of ways, a safe, great place to grow up. But, but also, like, a very conservative place that was not good to be, you know, latently gay or artistic, really. And, I mean, it was a very ag- agricultural place. But, yeah, I got out a lot and I got to see a lot of art. And i lucky in that way.
2: And your family's not there anymore. And my family's
1: no longer there. So probably I will not go back and make... But someday, it's just a very flat... It's a landscape that's stretch it's claustrophobic and it's expansiveness do you know what I mean where you're just it's flat and it goes as far as the eye can see and there's something terrifying about it to me
2: isn't the joke about that landscape like I'm not gonna land it but the joke is something like like I always heard about Montana but let's say Wisconsin like the thing about Wisconsin is when your dog runs away two days later you still see it running
0: oh I have oh, <laughs> you know what? I have a laugh button on this uh on this board. I, got I a wish a real I wish you Michaels. We don't even need it. I feel like
2: I've, I accomplished my real laugh. Did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so was, was Madison the the place then that you would go to and where you saw art and you saw there?
1: Um no, well, the Art Institute of Chicago. I really oh. was was is a great museum and You know, a lot of people, I think especially now, are making work that has to be read depending on the artist's biography or profile. And I guess I'm less, I don't feel that like necessarily like the place where I'm from or my kind of life story is like that important to interpreting my work or the things that I do. But maybe it's just hard to see from the Inside.
2: Well, and I also think, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to swoop in and give my analysis mm, on the situation. Okay. I think that you're someone who's also always been interested in constructing, I don't want to necessarily say an identity, but constructing like narratives around your work. So, like, I remember, okay, I've talked about Henry Hornstein like 78 times in this Great. podcast, <laughs> but Henry having his Henry sweater. that hen- There's this like famous picture of our teacher in a sweater that said Henry, like knitted into it. And I remember you saying, like, we, you need, we need sweaters that say Matt and Rachel so that they can be in, like, the, the what do you call it? A tureen? A the vitrine. Vitrine. Tureen is something you cook in. in. A <laughs> a vitrine, uh, in like the vitrine. It can be in, like, the memorabilia yeah. vitrine at the museum. Mm-hmm. Or then thinking about the way you're talking about your work on Fire Island. And I always think about your Fool's Gold project, which is an unrealized project mm. photographing a gold mining town that he never made this project, but I I thought it was a great idea. And I've, I've thought about it a lot for the past decade, but that like, you're sort of interested in like using like two parts of the truth to construct a different image. Mm. And so I think about your narrative, I do think, I mean, your magazine is called Matt. I do think it does boil down to your identity on some level. I'm not sure that it's like your literal biography. I think it might be more about something that you're, building that is like in a slippery place between Matthew Lifehite and Matt and you know whatever else yeah so I think like maybe that's the part of the biography
1: I think it's like the I mean Matt is like a record of kind of collaborations over time or sort of like and I do think it becomes sort of about
2: but it's also your Instagram handle I mean Hmm. I think that there is like you know, as I I always I often feel like I'm sort of like a a roving like a satellite like representative of Matt in this weird way where like when I meet people out in the photo world especially and especially young people, I get this like, "Oh, you're you know Matt." And I'm always curious if they mean I know you and we have a friend in common Mm. Mm. or if they mean, I know the magazine or sort of like what entity the mat is that they're excited to associate (laughs) me with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it's cool. I think it's like mysterious.
1: I like it to be confusing. I mean, you have, I'm quoting you here. You've said one of my favorite things ever, which is like, I think you said something along the lines of, I want to be beloved, but only in the way where I don't have to talk to anybody.
2: That's the dream. I feel, <laughs> like,
1: um, And I feel like I'm really interested in constructing. Yeah, I guess what you're saying about the sweaters is similar. To, it's like I'm it's really interested in constructing a persona of an artist and a world of fantasy. Like I want romance and magic and I don't want the real world. I want escape. I've been thinking about this a lot lately where my favorite things are photographs and books and movies and so I think what I would like to make in my lifetime is photographs books and movies because they have been so essential in my life as just an escape from reality not that my reality is bad but well
2: but and you're talking about like Justine Curlin and the way that she built her life around her work but maybe that's unfair maybe her life is her work or her work was built around her life or it could all mean the same thing and I think that that's the beautiful thing. I know I've felt it with my own work and I definitely see it in your work is like when you can when you can start to believe, when it stops being a performance of an artist and it just actually is yeah. the way that your life has become because you've been living in your work.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to become someone who like, Well, that's we always talked about this in school, actually, about like sort of constructing a world and then being able to live in it, which is like the dream of a lot of artists, I think, is to kind of get to live in your work or to kind of, yeah, to be able to live in your work or to be able to make your life into an artwork. And I think that's really what I would like to do. And I think the magazine and the Instagram handle and whatever else is sort of like, I like these murky boundaries between what is it my is it me personally or is it something that I made? And I think it's all kind of maybe I also made myself, I don't, you know, it's like all part of the same thing. But yeah, I don't know. I want, (laughs) I want magic all the time. And I think that's like, yeah, in the end of the day, I just love making things or media. I don't know. I love making, that's like, I think the reason I do any of these things is just like that. I love to experience photographs and I want to, you know, do every part of that or something and films, and I'm working on a documentary that I, where it's kind of a docu-fantasy that I, I have a secret desire to sell out to Hollywood one day, but, and I've tried, I'm, I basically have two film attempts that have taken up a lot of time, but I've never released them, and so one is still very much in progress, and I need to get back to work on that, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I always have a lot of things going at the same time, and I feel like the, sometimes I really feel like wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have like 10 projects and I could just do one thing. But I don't know how else to do it. I feel like I'm always the only way that I know how to do things is like a, a juggling act.
0: I'm <laughs> exactly the same way. I, I I have the the gallery and the show and the my own work and teaching and I always think that like why do I always take on the next thing? I should just finish something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I don't think I, I, I think I would have trouble doing just one thing. I think I would have trouble being um, uh, inspired and and finding the energy just to stay with one thing.
1: Yeah, no, I love that I get to kind of focus on other people's work in turns and I've, I certainly learn things from like now I only support artists who I passionately believe in their work through my own little platform for whatever that's worth and i I learn things from doing that and it's and it's a relief sometimes to be able to look away from my own. You know, mm.
0: f- photographs or something. But uh, we started to talk about Mad Editions with Rachel's book. But when did when did that start? I started publishing books in two
1: thousand fifteen with Godless's Histories Made at Night, which was a great first book to publish because we did a Kickstarter, mm. and it's very, you know, punk music has a lot more we were talking before the show about like who is the audience for a photography podcast or like what is, and it's, you know, the audience of people who are interested in photography or fine art photography is very small compared to the amount of people who are interested in the Ramones. And so the book had a lot of pictures of CBGBs and, and I love, they look like Brissi, they're amazing photographs. And so.
2: And it's a great title. History is made at night is a really mm -hmm. good title. I think.
1: Yeah. It's a title of a movie from the thirties. I think it's, yeah, it's a, that was a good book. And then I, what the second book was Michael Marcel's Kokomo and then uh Neil Winokur three volume set a Matthew Morocco book and then Rachel's and then I just did a Genesis Peorage Polaroids book
0: that is an interesting story it's great (laughs) yes oh the oh yeah (laughs) story yes for sure yeah yeah
1: yeah the books just I started because I did a couple of I think it was part of the rede- redefining of what the magazine could do. Because I think when I was in grad school, I tried to do a couple of issues of my friends or of, you know, like people I knew in grad school. And I was kind of like, what is this really doing? Like why, maybe this should just be a book. And I don't know why I'm publishing this person's work as a magazine. Cause it doesn't really, I wasn't seeing how it would like help them. And so I thought if I can publish books, it just serves a different purpose because the magazine you can do another issue and it's kind of a more like fast thing and then the book is like a forever right anchor but I I think it's good to be able to do
2: both well and you know for you and I especially like we had done two issues of the magazine and then the book was actually like a wholly different project which was Fun for me, because I'm not a publisher, so I got to learn a lot through it. But also the work is framed really differently in the two and looks and feels very differently in the two. And I think time is the big difference, right? That the book is going to last a lot longer.
1: Yeah, and it has to be perfect. And sometimes the magazine is printed indigo, so it's like I just keep printing them as people buy them. And if there's a typo, we change it in the second printing. And with the book, it's like, if there's an error in there, it's going to keep me awake for years of, you know, like it's permanent. Mm -hmm. And then also increasingly I think about the paper. Like, I don't know, like as a publisher, I think of like, would we rather have this or trees, you know, like, (laughs) because trees are great. And I love those also.
0: You can do sustainable (laughs) tree growth. I did. I switched to recyclable paper for the magazine.
1: But yeah, so the publishing is fun to do. But then I also, yeah, like I remember having this conversation with someone in los angeles like on a whatever i was talking to someone over a glass of wine and he was i was like oh yeah i think all of these projects that i do with other people kind of you know the energy comes back around in some way where like karmically like you know it kind of you know returns and he was like no you're just giving your energy away to people and they will take it from you and <laughs> uh, and you'll never get it back. And I was like, well, okay. But sometimes I do wonder. I mean... I think that's I, so wrong. I just never have that experience with... Because I guess the people that I choose to work with are usually like people that I love. And I we think you to, get a lot of energy back
0: <clears throat> when you do also these is, things.
2: I'm not even sure. Is that what it's about? Like, I mean, I'm thinking yeah. about, you know, Olivia's issue, which just came out. And I would... I I never imagined at any that's just an example but it doesn't seem like there's any part of that process that was about anything other than you loving those photographs oh yeah which is I think something that you and I share that has been sort of like a core of our friendship is that at the end of the day for both of us we love photographs Mm -hmm. and there's like the thrill of looking at photographs that really like that's a rush that can't be beat. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I I guess I've never really thought about the endeavors of Matt magazine or Matt Editions as being anything other than you making your work, which is about loving photography.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's not like I expect there to be like a trade of course, but you know what? Like I just, I feel like, well with Olivia's issue, for example, which is a great, this is like a, the magazine working was, I thought it was like, I went, to do guest critiques at RISD for the junior students and in my Oh, friend. I met Olivia,
0: right? At the yeah. book yes. Olivia the book Reeve. I Olivia, I reached out to you you never got back to me
1: Oh, <laughs> answer his email um, or do what you want but there's um, yeah, she's an amazing artist and I saw the work that she was making at the end of her junior year I actually had visited she was my friend Farah al student and I had seen her work kind of develop over the course of a semester, and thought like, "Wow, you've made something." It was her first semester studying photography, and she made something her first year, and she made something incredible, like right off the bat. Which was, I thought, exactly the what the magazine should exist for is like if someone who's like at this very early stage, you know, because she didn't know the she didn't know the rules of photography, and it felt very like free and unburdened by mm. history. And and then Collier Shore agreed to write an essay about her work for the issue, which I thought I was, you know, I was surprised she said, yeah, I mean, but it made sense because their work had a lot in common. And I think Collier said, if it, you know, like it has to be the right project or she's not going to write something. And so that was, I thought that was a really successful magazine because it was like taking something that was like, yeah, good and perfect and exciting and putting it in a context of this great essay and, and, a, and the print magazine, I think, is just, like, exciting for people, an exciting way to encounter the work. More exciting than if you saw it on a blog post of, like, isn't this great, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and more, with more of a um, a home than if you were just posting your work on Instagram. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
2: Well, I also think not to be, like, too photo about it, but there's something, like, the difference between shooting film and shooting digital, which you were talking about feeling guilty about the paper, and there is something honorific about like, we're going to use resources to feature this work. You use some time resources and maybe some clout resources when you make a blog post. But it's, you know, there's there's not as much of a commitment. So I think people feel, yeah, really like uplifted by the, that format. Yeah, I think I one thing
1: throughout, I really feel that I know where the good shit is and what's where the actually good stuff you know what I mean like I feel like I see so much I still I know I said this about starting the magazine but I still feel like I go places and I see all of this you know and now I understand some of the other reasons that this happens but you know like it's not a meritocracy and all of the work that you see being exhibited and published is not necessarily the best work that's being made and I think I pride myself on knowing where actually the good stuff is and I think that's what I can provide in the magazine is hopefully there's like an audience by this point that also feels that way.
0: Do you look also outside of academia when you're looking where the work is being made, where the work, where the work is coming from new work? Yeah. I mean, I think
1: I do encounter a lot of work at schools where I'm, you know, doing visiting artist stuff or if places that I'm teaching myself. Um, But I also, um, You know, one of the recent issues is someone who's self-taught. I think I encounter, I think social media and like Instagram for photography in particular allows me to encounter things that don't necessarily rise up through the academic system. Um, But having said that, I do, you know, like part of what excited me about Olivia's work is that I could see that she had been given the same large format photography assignment of like photograph a pepper close-up like Edward Weston that I had and that she had done something kind of incredible with it, whereas I had just done the pepper, you know? And I th- and so I th- part of what was exciting about that work was like, oh, I can recognize these kind of as the exercises of yeah. in beginning photography.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean to make that sound pejorative. I don't know if it came off that way, but there, I, there's no reason why you couldn't find, you know, you shouldn't be also finding that work in academia because there's such great energy and space to work and sort of just uh, a, a creative community already there. And I mean, makes it makes sense. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. No, I love, and that's part of what I like about teaching is just like, I love the energy of school and art school in particular. Like I have like a particular love for art school and I feel like I can relate to that time in people's lives.
0: Yeah. Just, I had just one last thing to, to mention. And if I forgot anything, please feel free to bring it up. Or, or you wanted to mention some things you do uh ben gans is your designer for matt magazine and um ben
1: did redesign it when i oh, was in okay. grad school and he was the designer for a few issues often the way that i'm working with the magazine is like okay i have to send it to press like today mm-hmm. and so it's not always possible to have him go through the issues and so which is my own you know Poor planning, but it's also like I think to be a one-person magazine is like has certain luxuries. Like I'm gonna keep working on it until the deadline, and so yeah, I've been kind of implementing his. Uh, he made sort of templates. That oh, I, can, I see. But I just okay. I basically designed it myself. Okay. Um, I mean Seo Kun Choi d- uh, designed Rachel's book, and he designs all of the Mad Editions books, and he is wonderful, and and Ben is wonderful too. Uh, I love. I mean, I think it's I. Love having friends who are graphic designers. Like, I'm not someone who knows about typography. And also in making books and magazines, it's like graphic designers know things about paper and binding and, like, glue and stuff that I have no concept of. This is something that I believe in a lot, actually, is, like, there are people who are specialized in particular areas who spend their whole lives learning how to do things, and why not just let them do it?
2: I think this is, like, a big myth in current... Photo lens based education is that you're supposed to be able to do the whole thing, and I think you know I know there was like a big thing when we were at RISD of people being like I designed my own photo book, and that felt like Laying a really on your big own accomplishment PVA glue and
0: bindings. And yeah,
2: right. and I I feel just the same as you, Matt. Like like I can tell you the difference between a serif and a sans serif, but if you leave me on my own, I'm like on a thousand and one free com, Googling like ancient Roman inspired fonts, you know, like it's not good. <laughs> and there are people who know how to, you know, worry about margins and bleeds and yeah. all this stuff. And I think same thing with working with film, like it's really exciting to work with somebody who knows how to use a camera in a different way yeah. or to make an edit or, you know?
1: Yeah. I don't with, with the film, that I'm trying to make, I don't, I don't, I've never used a video camera. Like, I don't know how to do that. And it's completely different than, there's like some myth that people think it's like the same thing, but it's actually opposite. And I'm very lucky to have a cinematographer friend, Alex Waterston, who we went to RISD with, who helps me on projects like that, or we work on them together. But it's, I, yeah, it's like, he has spent his whole life learning how to beautifully use a moving image camera. And I, You know, certainly there are things that you can learn from just picking something up and trying it. But I think there's a place for that. And there's a place where you just want it to actually be good. (laughs) I wonder if there's anything else that needs to be. Yeah. What did we we forget? I've got a real zinger for you. Oh, here we go. What is it? Okay.
2: So, Matt. Mm. Starting in 2011, you and I wrote our first manifesto. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it was yeah. called the New Sincerity Manifesto. Mm-hmm. And it was a call to return to utmost sincerity in approaching the creation of artworks, the discussion of artworks, the promotion of artworks, mm-hmm. right? Still believe in that. Mm. Since then, I'm not going to get the exact date right, but you know, we did it again in, let's say, 2015. Mm-hmm. That was our artist rules. Then we did an artist oath in twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. I think I skipped the fortune cookies. I don't know what that was. We did fortune cookies. We at just one ha- point. had fortunes. I think that was like twenty sixteen-ish. I think that was like the that. second one. But yeah. Whatever. So we made these four things. <laughs> I'm now sitting here with you in 2020, mm. staring down a whole fresh decade, which so far has been a terrible decade, <laughs> but we'll see how the rest of it goes. What what would what would we put? What would you put on the whatever we made for 2020, what comes to your forefront of your mind, your wish rules, thoughts, guidelines for artists?
1: I don't know. I guess, I don't know if there is some way in a piece of writing. We've talked about various forms that this next manifesto might take, but if there's some way to kind of convey, I guess the sense of like commitment that I'm talking about in this, you know, just people where like some I mean, we just wrote an oath, but some sort of like, you know, induction into this society of like nut jobs that have decided that like taking photographs is more important than having, you know, health care insurance or whatever. You know, like, and I think, uh, no, I don't know. Like, that's a hard
2: <laughs> It was a hard one. I said it was a zinger. Um, but I do think, I mean, one of the things I think is interesting about this project that you and I return to is that some things change and certainly there have been a few things that I've written in them that I really regret or now disagree with. Yes, me too. But I think at the core, a lot of it has stayed the same. So part of what I'm hearing you say makes me think about lines that I know we've had, like be harried by death or, you know, like there's been this sense, I think, in these guidelines that we've set out from very early on that it's like, you've got to do it now and do it all the way because there is no later and there is no like part way. And I think that that does feel absolutely pressing for this decade. Yeah. We've always advocated for a
1: sense of urgency and for, you know, the creation of like serious and emotionally laden artworks. And I think that's something that I definitely still believe in and hasn't changed. And also, I also think we've advocated for kind of, like, doing the work over time. Like, I think we've advocated, we've been advocates of a certain kind of labor.
2: Yeah, I think, com- I think the idea of commitment is really relevant because this is something I say to, like, my Photography One students all the time, which is that, you know, if you want to become a doctor, you have to be an expert in science. And there's, like, you just have to know the science. You can't just, like, see how you feel about it. Yeah. But if you want to be an artist, the thing you have to be an expert in is, okay, maybe some technical skill set. But really, it's yourself. It's You have to know concretely or at least be willing to experiment openly with how you see and understand the world and what you want other people to see and understand from that same world. And I think that something that we've tried to do in our manifestos is encourage this idea that, like, the, maybe the hardest part is taking the time to take your own expertise seriously enough to treat it um, like real work. Mm. And in the same way that if if I was an expert in immigration law, it would probably be my responsibility to go do something with that expertise to help that problem become you know, less oppressive to some certain section of people. As an artist, whatever my expertise is, I think it's like the responsibility is to make something with that that is tangible and real and accessible to other people yeah um and I think that's been a lot of the work of our of whatever format our manifestos have taken
1: yeah I mean I'm such a I'm obsessed with creating something and I think that's essential like I want we've yeah I mean we've all we've we're both a little obsessed with death and I think we felt that from the beginning and like I think that part of that is just like wanting to leave something behind that is more than the memories that people have of me as a person or as a father or brother is like, I want to leave something behind that more people can use than that, you know, and I want to like distribute my body into some sort of into all of these pieces and like, you know what I mean? And just like leave them so that people can so that it can be useful to someone.
2: And I think as people, you and I both share like a passionate I think we've both used the term like fangirl style approach to our history of photography or art history or visual culture or whatever we want to call it. And I think something I feel grateful for every time I go into my studio is like, oh, wow, like a lot of good work has been done for me. Yes. Like, thank God someone came already and, like, you know, was Julia Margaret Cameron. How lucky am I that she went and, like, did that thing? Amazing. So that, that, that she I did that. can pick up the pieces and, yeah. like, do whatever I think is next. And I think a privilege of photography is that we're participating in a baby medium and our lineage is really short mm-hmm. and we can reach out and, like, boop it. <laughs> and. It is, I do think that you and I have always felt, you know, like at RISD, I'm going to say Henry Hornstein's name another time. It was (laughs) like we were Henry's students who were Harry Callahan's students and that was like, you know, like a building block of American photography and it was like right there for us to like be part of. And so the idea that then you're making these photographs that are like the next, you know, like stones or bricks or whatever in that process. Well, that's like, like
1: a four-year-old recently asked me if you, he was like, if your his grandparents had told him he was going to meet an artist and he was like, what kind of art do you make? And I was like, mostly photographs. And he was like, well, then why do you call yourself an artist? And I should have said what my mother told me, which was photographs are art. But I said instead that I'm an artist because I'm contributing to a conversation, that I'm not just trying to make interesting or good pictures, but that I'm extremely conscious of what is this adding or how is this moving something forward in terms of what's already been made? Which I think you have to do. I mean, whether or not... There are some people who come along, our friend Hobbs Ginsburg, for example, (laughs) and, like, don't want to know about history and can make something completely original. I think by, in large part, by kind of shutting out the past to a certain extent in order to develop your own thing. But, like, for me, it's like I am history or like that I am yeah I'm like I'm myself but I'm also like every piece of art that I've ever seen and I think I bring that to everything that I do and yes thank god for all these things that have been made like I think the pieces of art there are pieces of art that I've seen in my life that have been so well just when we were
2: just in the Netherlands printing my book and we went to the Rijksmuseum and we walked by and there was a painting of I forget who in the poppies and it's this bizarre angle oh yeah like looking at his feet Sort of floating in this field of poppies. And I don't, I don't think we had been even been walking through the gallery together. Like we were sort of separated. And when we regrouped, we were both like, that angle was insane. It looked like a photograph. And it was like, <laughs> for both of us, it was this like piece of like meat that was just like there that we were like, oh, I know just how to cook that. Like yeah. it's, that makes a lot of sense, you know?
1: Yes, I actually did that. I've been meaning to do The Death of Apollo, I think was that painting. That's right, The Death of Apollo. And it was. And he's in this
2: field of poppies. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: But there was another painting we saw that day that was this old man explaining to something to a group of sort of like young women in the forest. And I've actually ripped that off in my own work and I called it the lesson. But I thought I thought I saw that painting and I thought like, oh, this what an interesting scene to depict is like a scene of sort of like receiving information from another generation. Like it felt like something I could apply in my own work. And of course, it doesn't look anything like that painting.
2: It n- never does, <laughs> nor should it.
0: Well, this has been great. Thank you very much. And and thank you, Rachel.
2: Oh, I'm so happy and I nice. got to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks you. for this having me on board. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, thanks, Michael. Oh, this is this wonderful. All right. Bye,
1: everyone. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>